Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. Another beautiful day. Just think, it'll only be 80 or so by the time we're done. So, like, this is great, right? I'm, I didn't hear any amens to that. I'm like, you know, come on now. Are we awake out there? Come on. Let's do it. Amen. Let's lift up the name of Jesus this morning. Thank you, God, for this beautiful place, for your artistry, God. Thank you uh, that our posts are up. I was going to say I wanted to keep you posted on what was, oh, well. But I, I decided not to say that. Come on, let's lift up the name. Here we go. Here we go. Give thanks. 
day you may be seated josh i didn't even think you were doing announcements joshua fought the battle of jericho 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 joshua fought the battle of all right i'm not that old i wasn't around for that one but hey good morning everybody i guess you didn't fall for it <laughs> <laughs> that was good time all right, how are you guys all doing today? Yeah? All right. Man, we've got this big open space, like, right here. Um, I've got a few announcements for you here this morning. Um, first of all, I want to welcome all of you guys, those of you who are returning, um, and also those of you who might be here visiting for the first time. We want to let you guys know we've got some info and some greeting things for you guys. There's a table back by the stairs, over here by the parking lot, and over on this side. Um, we'd love to get to know you. There's a little card there where we can get connected with you. Um, so if you'd like to fill those out so we can learn more about you and, and you can get to know more about us, we'd love to make that happen. Um, so welcome, everybody. Um, secondly, after the service at 10.30, we have community hour. And there are classes, some outside, some in the building. Students will meet down here by the river. And we have a special guest coming to meet with us um, during that time. So students, you guys are welcome to come down here and get to hear from a missionary that's going to be sent, uh, sent out later, which you'll hear more about at the end of the service. We also want to let you guys know that on August 29th, we have our annual church picnic out here, and we're going to be doing some baptisms down at the river. There's already several people who have talked to us pastors about uh, getting baptized, and we're excited for that moment in their life and faith. And we want to extend an invitation. If, you, if this has been on your heart or um, 
you've been talking to your kids about it and it's on their heart, we'd love to, as pastors, talk to uh, you about it. So you can talk to me or Michael or Ben or Boomer, um, or you can talk to the office and get in touch with one of us. We'd love to have that conversation with you. And uh, so we're excited to celebrate that um, all together. Um, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer and jump more into worship. God, just thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the sunshine, the clear skies, the opportunity to gather together um, in this beautiful place where we're just reminded of your glory um, with everything that surrounds us. Lord, as we lift up your name, I just pray you would be our focus. Um, God, you are so good to us, and you meet our needs, um, even when we, it's not always our wants, but Lord, you give us what we need. Um, so Lord, just be with us and uh, help us focus on you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's sing that together. This is over you this morning. Say, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you. other. Put your arm out in the air. You can close your eyes if you want to. And we want to sing this blessing over each other right now. Come on, let's do it. Children and their children, 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 and their
is for you. He 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 is for you. Amen.
Lord, we give that to you, God. We we clap because your name is good, God. Your name is your character. You are good and kind and faithful and slow to anger, but quick to forgive, God. We thank you so much for that. And as Ben comes up this morning, God, and as the motorcycles drive by, Lord, we ask you to keep those men and women safe. God, help them to keep their heads up and uh, their speeds down. And so we thank you for the rally and what a blessing it is. Uh, whether we like the sound or not, God, these people are here and we pray that you would meet them here, God. We pray that they would never forget the rally of 2021 where the voice of God broke through and showed them that you are the source of life, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone didn't like that idea because they took it down. <laughs> so I have a friend who said, never stop with the first good idea. So probably good advice. Well, this morning uh, we're going to be in uh, Psalm uh, 145. And uh, maybe some of you remember, but this was the first uh, passage, first message I preached at Rimrock Church was Psalm 145. This is a significant psalm for me personally. But I think it's a significant psalm in, in God's story and what he's revealed about himself. 
Um, this is the last psalm that we have in the Bible recorded to be written by David, King David. And so we, we don't know exactly the chronology, but, but I, I like to imagine and picture, and based on what I read in this psalm, I wonder if, if this is the last psalm that David wrote as, a, as an old king who's lived a full life full of failures, but also successes, but come to the end of his days and and he wants to praise God. And, uh, and so I, I think about that when I read Psalm 145. It's, it's one of the few psalms I've actually memorized. And I, I encourage you to memorize scripture. There's something very powerful about meditating on the word of God. And, and the Talmud and the Jewish uh, commentary on the Old Testament, they encouraged worshipers to pray Psalm 145 three times a day. So many observant Jews would pray this psalm three times a day, every day. That's how significant it is. This is an acrostic psalm, meaning it outlines based on the Hebrew alphabet. And so each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is a beginning of a phrase of the psalm. So it helped people memorize and remember, and it was poetic and beautiful. But uh, many commentators wonder, because of all the acrostic psalms that there are, I think there's like seven of them, or, or seven to ten of them in the psalms, and this one is, is missing a letter. And many of the commentators have uh, different thoughts on that. But later I'm going to share that. I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's from God and it, it gets our attention. And so I want to ask if you're able to stand with me as we read this psalm in honor of God's word. I would invite you to do that if you're able. If you're not, it's okay. You can stay seated. But if you're able to stand, we do this to honor God and to... Listen to his word. Psalm 145 begins, I exalt you, my God, the King. God is the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts and they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works. And I proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord, he is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and they speak of your might so that all the people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful and all he does. The Lord, he upholds all who fall. He lifts all who are bowed down. The eyes of all who look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. Did you eat breakfast this morning? <laughs> that came from God. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, praise his name. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth 
will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So I remember as a kid, uh, my family is originally from Colorado, and uh, one of my uncles who lives there uh, bought a speedboat. And uh, so we would have family gatherings in some of the mountain lakes up in Colorado. And, and I remember uh, with anticipation that uh, my uncle was going to bring his speedboat and we were going to be able to go water skiing. So I was pretty excited. I don't remember how old I was, but I was pretty young. And, uh, and I remember when the time came and all the cousins were taking turns and, and it was my turn. And uh, my uncle kind of gave me some pointers and hooked me up and, and took off and and I couldn't get on my skis. And uh, he tried again and again. I think it was like three or four times we tried, and I couldn't get on the skis. And uh, I still remember to this day the sting of failure. <laughs> and I don't know if any of you have ever felt that sting. Have you ever felt the sting of failure? Unable, falling down, unable to do something. And um, I think there's a deeper thing, even more than actually failing, is in all of us lurks this underlying fear of failure. And, and I think actual failure hurts, but even worse is this impending doom that somehow I'm not good enough or I don't have what it takes or I'm not going to make it or something's going to go wrong. And I think about my own experience and I think about the human experience. I think about many of your experiences. And I think we've all been stung by the sting of failure. And we've all had that lurking fear of failure knocking at our doors. That's a hard thing to face. It's a hard thing to think about. But it's so true to the human story, the human ex experience. And I'm so thankful for the Psalms where, where God speaks to our reality, but He points us to a, a greater reality that we don't have to be defined by that sting of failure or even the fear of failure, that there's a greater plan, there's a greater purpose, there's something that God is doing that is victorious. And that's partly why we gather on Sunday mornings as, as people of faith is because we believe in the resurrection, <laughs> that even the sting of death, God has brought victory over that. Last week we looked at praise and we're going to continue that theme of praise. So much of the Psalms is about praise. Praise of God as creator, as maker, as sustainer, as redeemer, as the most glorious one of all. But so many psalms are also about lament, facing that sting of failure, that sting of, of, of hurt and fear and disappointment, anxiety, struggle. The psalms are honest with the reality of our human existence, the reality of what life is really like, but it points to something that God is doing in that. And we looked at hope. That as people of faith, we praise out of hope because God is a God of hope. And this morning, we're going to look at the grace of God. The grace of God. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Psalm 145 begins with the, one of the most important truths of the whole Bible. In fact, uh, earlier this year, we, we preached through some of the major themes of the, of the story of God. And, and one of the themes was the kingdom of God, the kingship of God. Of God and, and Psalm 145 declares boldly, without shame, without fear, just unequivocally, that God 
is the king. And that David says, he's my king. David says, he's my king. And now remember, David's an older man, probably, who, who was probably at the height of his power, of his own kingdom, that he was a king. Yet even as a king, he recognized that there is truly only one true great king, and it's God. There's humility here in recognizing that he is nothing compared to the greatness of God's kingdom and his glory. That God is ultimately sovereign, that God is ultimately in charge, that he has authority, that he is the Lord. In fact, the early followers of Jesus had one message. They declared boldly, Peter, after being afraid, came out boldly after receiving the Holy Spirit, and he declared, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, there's no more earth-shattering, earth-shaking message that we can proclaim that God is King, that He is Lord over all. The reason it's so earth-shattering is because within all of us is a desire, I call it the God impulse. Within all of us is a desire to be in charge. Within all of us is a desire to control, to have power, to, to kind of be little gods. Yet that declaration that God is King, that He is Lord, confronts that desire in every human heart. And it declares that God alone is Lord, that He alone is worthy of praise, that He alone is worthy of worship, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. This uh, psalm goes on to declare that His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Verse 12, the glorious splendor of His kingdom. So all the kingdoms of this world, all the nations of this world, maybe you watched the Olympics as different flags were brought in and, and the different nations rejoice in their power and their, their, the good things that they have and the, the, the athletes that they have. Yet, yet all of that splendor pales in comparison to the glorious splendor of God's kingdom. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The nations of this earth will not last forever, but God, His dominion endures through all generations. Not a few generations, but all generations. See, this psalm declares that God is king and his is an everlasting kingdom. This is so important. I think if David could leave us with one uh, glorious truth is that God is king and that he alone is great. That he alone is great. I was thinking about this uh, idea of God's greatness because Psalm 145 uh, points out that God is great over and over. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And it goes on, greatness, greatness. And I was thinking about that this week and, and we, we're attracted to greatness. As people, we're attracted to greatness. We, we love the best orators, the best athletes, the most successful business people, the, the greatest um, most beautiful actors and actresses. We're, we're attracted to greatness. The greatest inventions, we, we're, we're attracted to that. There's something beautiful about greatness. There's something glorious about greatness. But I was thinking about that in the human context. How we think about great is always comparative. So as human beings, we're, we're always comparing. And, and, and by the way, isn't that the source of much of our fear of failure? <laughs> that we're so conscious of others and what others might think and what others are saying, how we look, 
before others. And so, so when we think about greatness, when we talk about greatness, it's always comparing to something else, to someone else. The problem with that is even if we achieve human greatness, someone is always better. Someone always does greater. I think of all the world records that they keep beating and overcoming and, and doing better. And so, so this is a human dilemma for us. We strive for greatness. We long for greatness. And that's a good thing. I think that's a God thing in us, implanted in us as image bearers of God. Yet, yet it's also a curse to compare ourselves to others. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about that. The righteousness of the Pharisees was based on comparisons. And he called that a great evil. He called that a great sin. He called that of the world. And so there's a curse of comparative greatness. But I want you to observe something about Psalm 145 because it gets our eyes off our comparative greatness. It, it, it gets our eyes off trying to compete and ca compare ourselves with others and it lifts our eyes to God. And here's the phrase that struck me this week is that God's greatness is an absolute greatness. God's greatness is an absolute greatness. My dear brothers and sisters, that's good news. <laughs> <laughs> that's good news that only God is truly great that he alone defines what greatness is as the creator and maker of all and so Psalm 145 unequivocally declares that God alone is great and nothing nothing compares there's no even start to comparing his greatness is so beyond so beyond description, so beyond anything we can ask or imagine, Paul would say, his greatness is an absolute greatness. At our staff meeting this week on Wednesday, we were talking through Psalm 145, and I asked this question. What if God was great, but not good? What, what would that mean if, if, if God was absolute greatness, but, but there was no goodness? And, and we, we've tasted that in our human experience because we've experienced great people who aren't good. And we see where that leads. You just do a cursory history lesson through the nations of this earth and you can see many examples of greatness without goodness. And it's destructive. It's painful. It's oppressive. It's terrible. And so if we can imagine a great God but not a good God that should strike terror in our hearts. But, but here's the good news of Psalm 145. Because <laughs> he begins in talking about the kingdom of God, that God is king, that he's great. But listen to verse 7. This is the good news. They celebrate your abundant goodness. God is great, but he is good. He is good. Believe that. Hold that truth. It is God's greatness, but also His goodness that we must truly understand in order to praise Him. Praise comes from the character of God. We talked about this in Psalm 33. It's, it's not just an emotional response. It's not just because there's good music or, or a beautiful setting or, or things are going good in our lives. No, Psalms teach us that praise comes out of knowing who God is. When we encounter the living holy, glorious, good God. We can't help but praise. We can't help but sing. We can't help but shout. We can't help but declare that He is great, that He is good, that He is worthy of our praise. 
praise comes out of the place of knowing who God is. And so God is great, but he is good. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Good to all. This isn't limited goodness. This is abundant goodness. Jesus said, God, he sends rain on the godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the unrighteous. God provides for the wicked and the righteous. He pours out his abundance. Can you smell it today? And the flowers and the sky and the sunshine. God's goodness is being poured out. We experience it. Whether we know God or not, we experience his goodness. Paul says God has lavished his grace, his goodness upon all people. God's providence is an amazing truth. It's something to ponder on. It's something to glory in. God is good to all. But I love Psalm 145 because it doesn't just stop with God's um, goodness to all, but it gets very specific, very personal. It interacts with your story, with my story. It's a goodness that's pervasive in that it pursues the people that God loves. So Psalm 145 springs out of a prior revelation of God. If you remember the story of the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt, they've come out of slavery, they've come out of of a horrible situation, but God has rescued them and he sent his servant Moses to lead them through the Red Sea, to lead them into a new place, a new land, and they're, they're camped in the desert of Sinai. And God leads them to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And they're camped at the base of the mountain. And they're reminded of God's greatness because the mountain is on fire. And the mountain is trembling. And the mountain has a storm cloud over it and lightning and thunder. And it says the people were terrified. They trembled. And they recognized the greatness of God. Not only in his liberating them from Egypt through the plagues, but they, they saw the presence and the holiness of God. And they trembled and they were afraid. And they were unwilling to go up that mountain. But Moses went up that mountain to encounter the greatness of God. But in that place, um, Exodus chapter 33 and 34, I encourage you to go back and read that again. It's, it's, it's a central moment in the story of God where God is revealing himself. And Moses, as he's standing before the greatness of God, he says, show me your glory. Moses asked that question. Have you, have you ever asked God to show you your glory? Show him, show you his glory? That's a prayer. That's a prayer. But listen to what God says to Moses. Moses knows his God's greatness and he's trembling. But this is what verse 19 of Exodus 33 says. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will allow, I will allow all my goodness to pass in you. And this is what God says. I will proclaim my name. Because Moses was saying, show me your glory and tell me your name. I want to know you, God. I want to know who you are. And God says, I'm going to pass all my goodness in front of you. And this is what God says about his name. The Lord, he's king, he's Lord, he's ruler, creator, maker of all things. He is, he is glorious. And he says, in your presence, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But you cannot see my face. And so God passes all his goodness and he says, I'm merciful. And then later in chapter 34, 
Again, God tells Moses, my name is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Did you catch that? Psalm 145 quotes Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. I hope that makes your heart sing. (laughs) That God is not only great, but He is good. And specifically, His goodness is manifested in compassion, in grace, in slowness of anger, in bounding and rich in love. When John the Apostle after experiencing the full revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ, his declaration is, God is love. That is who he is. That's his name. That's his character. He is love. And Psalm 145 reminds us of who God is, that he's not only great, he is good. And his goodness is revealed through graciousness, compassion, slowness to anger, and abounding in love. Isn't that who Jesus is? <laughs> Isn't that who Jesus revealed God to be? He healed the sick. He had compassion on those who were being oppressed or discouraged or distraught, who were filled with fear and, and all the, the failures of this life. Jesus didn't confront him and say, do better. He didn't yell at them and say, get your act together. He said, I have compassion on these people. And he demonstrated his love, not in being served, but in serving others, in washing his disciples' feet, and ultimately in being nailed to that cross. He revealed that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. His cry was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And this is really what I wanted to share with you today. The grace of God is being poured out and it's available today. I shared a little bit about a a small failure in my life with water skiing, but I have other failures that are difficult to talk about, difficult to face. I think all of us, if we're honest and we face those things, we come to this, this place of realizing that we don't always have it all together, that we don't have true greatness, that we don't have true goodness within us, that we need someone greater who is truly good, who is truly glorious, truly worthy of worship, and God is that person. And so I want to encourage us to think about the failures in our lives and not see them as a curse, but as an opportunity to experience God's grace. It says God shows favor or grace to the humble. When we come to that place of failure, when we come to that place of weakness, then we can truly experience the greatness and the goodness of God. We can experience something that God is revealing to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And all his story is pointing to this reality that that we have to come to the end of ourselves, that we have to repent and confess our sin and come to the end of ourselves and and come to this place of recognizing that we're not God, that we're not Lord, that He is the King, that He is great, that He is good. 
And this is why I think Psalm 145 ultimately points us to verse 14. I told you this is an acrostic hymn or psalm. And there's a missing letter in verse 14. Because I think God wants to get our attention. <laughs> he wants to point us to something. What does it, verse 14 say? The Lord upholds all who fall. Have you fallen? Are you in a place of struggle, realizing failure in your life today? Here's the grace of God. The Lord meets you in that place. <laughs> we can only truly know God is great and good in the place of failure, in the place of falling, in the place of realizing we don't have it all, that we need Him. It says He lifts all who are bowed down. He lifts he doesn't leave us in that place. And here's the good news. It's, it's not just focusing on our failures, the focus on our failures. It's, it's realizing this is the resurrection God. This is the Jesus who was crucified and rose again. And this is the Jesus who applies that resurrection power to you and I through the Holy Spirit. It says in Romans 8 that God poured out his spirit in us and he calls his children. He adopts us. And it says the very spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. <laughs> Do you believe that? We sang that this morning, that God, you are for us. Do you believe it? Can you sing it knowing that God is truly good? Have you tasted the bitterness of your own failure, but, but come to the place where you, you've raised up your hands and your heart and your life and said, God, lift me up, save me, deliver me. Because verse 14 says that the Lord upholds those who fall and he lifts those who are bowed down. Our greatest problem as human beings is not that we fail, but that we're too proud. We're too proud. And we try to pretend it's okay. We try to compare ourselves to others and we put out a good image. We try to tell the world everything's good when it's not. We're too proud. But the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, when we come to the place where we realize we need God, then we encounter the grace of God. Oh, and what a gift, the grace of God. And so then when we, when we praise God, when we declare that, that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, it's not just words. It's our story. <laughs> it's our knowledge of who God is. We know Him. Just like Moses on Mount Sinai, His goodness has come into our lives. And that goodness is fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to that place, it's no longer just conceptual, but it's actual. And so the greatness of God is no longer conceptual, it's actual. And the goodness of God is no longer conceptual, it's actual. And when we talk about the grace of God, it's not just a concept, it's a reality that's changed our lives. And I stand up here today, not as a perfect person, but as a person who's encountered the grace of God. And it, and, it, and it changed me forever. And I can't help but declare, and as we sang from one generation to generation, every day I tell my kids, God is great and he is good. Know his grace. Know Jesus. Because there's nothing better. Because I've tasted, I've seen that God is good. And we declare it. And I share it with everyone I come in contact with. And I can't help but to preach to you today and tell you because God is great. And he is good. And it's not just words. It's a reality 
that I've tasted, that I've seen, that's changed everything in me and about me. And so many of you have tasted that as well. And this is my dear brothers and sisters, is why David, as he came to the end of his days, in Psalm uh, 145 with these words, he says, my mouth will speak of in praise of the Lord. And so David said, let my legacy, let everything my life has stood for, let it be about praise because I know who God is. He says, let every creature praise his holy name because David came to the end of himself in the face of all his failures and all his successes. And I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up here and we're gonna sing a song. And I want us to think about the greatness of God and the goodness of God. And I want you to close your eyes and, and I want you to pray and ask God to show you his glory. God's not withholding his glory from you today. <laughs> Even if your life seems like a mess this morning, I don't know what's going on, but God knows. But that's the place where we can experience his grace and his goodness.